Hi, welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. We're so happy you're joining us on our journey through the book of Matthew. Join us today as we talk through the way Jesus instructed us to live the good life. Hi guys, welcome to Branch Life today. We're glad you're joining us. Don't adjust your screens, my face is red. Yesterday uh, I spent one of, a great day at one of the best places on earth, Ocean City, New Jersey, and I got a lot of sun. So today you get the red tinted version of Pastor Josh. I'm one of the pastors at Branch Life Church and we're glad that you're worshiping with us today. We're continuing on with our Good Life series. You're not gonna wanna miss it today. We're talking about most of the world's favorite verse. So everybody in the world loves the verse that we're covering today, so you're going to want to hear all about it. Hey, if you're watching this before July 4th, we are getting ready to celebrate our July 4th celebration. We're having an outdoor worship service followed by a picnic. Everybody's welcome to come. At this celebration, we plan on celebrating baptisms and brand new core team members. So if you have not yet been baptized and you believe in Jesus, you follow Jesus, July 4th can be the day that you take that step and we would love to celebrate that with you. Or if you're a part of Branch Life Church, whether it's been just digital or you've been in person and you're ready to say, this is my church, we'd love for you to join our core team and we would celebrate that also on the 4th or however would work best for you. Both of those things, you can let us know you're interested if you fill out your connection card today, which is being linked in the chat room right next to this broadcast. So we wanna encourage you if this is your first time or if you're with us every time, if you're watching this during the premiere or at any time on demand, go ahead and fill out that connection card. Let us know that you worship with us. Thank you so much to everybody who gives uh, on a regular basis. That's been an awesome encouragement to us and God is using your gifts in a powerful way. You can do that online as well at branchlife.church slash give. We're jumping into the Sermon on the Mount leaning in on how we can know and live the good life. So stay tuned, grab your Bibles, let's jump to it. finished Matthew 6 we are starting Matthew chapter 7 in verse 1 as always if you would like to get your hands on one of these journals make sure you we have your address and your connection card and we will send this as a free gift to you we're going through the book of Matthew all this year and we're excited uh, just to finish this section this week and next join us next week for our series finale as we move forward into a very famous passage did you hear about the biker who came to church yeah, have you ever heard this story about the biker who came to church and he started to pull up and everybody who was a part of the church or at the church just looked at him? And how do you think they looked at this biker? Uh, they, they saw his tattoos and his outfit that he was wearing. He came in with the loud motorcycle that was just revving over and over and over again. And all of a sudden, everybody at church looked at him this way. Have you ever felt like that guy? Have you ever felt like that girl that everyone was just like staring at you and you knew by their, by, by their scowls that you were being judged, that they were reading into who you were and they were pouring on judgment after judgment after judgment? That's heavy stuff. In the passage that we're reading today, when the biker goes to church, the church is not supposed to look at the biker with scowls. They're supposed to be thrilled. They're supposed to be excited that they're now able to meet a new friend. 
This issue of judgment comes up over and over again in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and in the teaching of the Bible. And it's something that we're going to cover in detail today. And maybe you don't have any issues with bikers. As a matter of fact, this particular biker is the leader of a men's ministry to bikers. He's a, he's a Christian leader. He's a pastor. And he just loves biking. He loves the biking community. Why would we judge someone based on what we see or how they act? Why would we judge someone at all? Maybe you're okay with bikers, but what if someone came to your house and they looked like this? And they wanted a sign that said, hey, I'll work for food. And, and you look at them. Would you scowl and judge them? Or would you be excited about the opportunity to interact with another person? What if your church was visited by this older gentleman? Would that be very exciting for you? Or would that be something that would cause you to bite your tongue and to scowl deeply? Or what if it was a Muslim young lady that walked into your house or your workplace or your building? Would you automatically uh, put a label on her? Would you automatically distance yourself from her? Or would you see her as God has asked you to see her, as another human being? Hey, because people look different, because they act different, because they're a part of a different political party, because they have a different religion, doesn't mean we now have the right to judge them. And it doesn't mean that we are any better than they are. This is the message that Jesus teaches today in Matthew chapter 7. In this message about the good life, Jesus teaches us how we're supposed to treat other people. And it's one of the key ingredients to living a good life. So we're jumping in to how you and I should treat all of those people that were pictured and everybody else we come in contact with in the streets, in our neighborhoods, at our church buildings, at our schools, at Ocean City, New Jersey, and wherever life might take us. So grab your Bibles, let's go to Matthew chapter 7, and let me just let the cat out of the bag. Here's the big idea. This is the passage where Jesus teaches the golden rule, one of the most famous commands, one of the most famous rules in all of the Bible. This is the number two most famous verse of all times. For non-Christians, for people who are not Bible believers, this is their second favorite verse. In just a moment, we're going to tell you what their first favorite verse is. But in Matthew chapter 12, or Matthew chapter 6, in verse 12, Jesus simply teaches this. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Everything that Jesus commands, all the commands in Scripture, all the Ten Commandments, the whole reason that the Bible was written is rested in this command. Do for them what you wish they would do for you. If we can just get this one command right, we've got everything else made in the shade. So we're going to dive in and we're going to go through how Jesus applies this command to some very powerful and very important teaching. In this circle or in the context of the golden rule, the first thing that Jesus teaches us, the first way that he teaches us to treat other people is he simply gives us a very straightforward command. He says, do not judge. Do not judge. I've just read for you the number one favorite verse of the world. Everybody who doesn't believe the Bible knows this verse. They might not know where to find it. They might not know where to get it. But they quote this verse over and over and over again. Just in the last week, as I've been studying for this lesson, watching different television shows, whether it's a talk show host or someone on television, a newscaster or someone being interviewed, or even written into sitcoms and scripts, people will talk and quote about not judging. And they'll say things like, hey, doesn't your Bible teach you not to judge? Why are you judging me? Who do you think you are to judge me and to tell me how I should live my life? Doesn't Jesus himself say, do not judge? Now, here's the thing. They're absolutely right. The Bible clearly commands us not to judge. Let's read it together in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. It says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take a speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite! 
First, take out the log from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. What a crazy teaching, right? Jesus is teaching that we've all got a splinter problem, that we've all got a problem with our eyes, and that every single one of us is dealing with issues. And yet we go around and we start to tell other people all about their problems instead of first dealing with our problems. That's called judging. And Jesus says, do not do it. It is not our place to judge. And we're going to see in a little bit, in a little bit how this is uh, dealt with and how we understand how to do this. But because so many people are aware of this passage, this becomes very complicated. This becomes kind of a, a hard thing to wrestle with and to understand and to put into practice. So how does Jesus help us understand what he's teaching? Now remember, in just a few verses, he's going to give us the golden rule. This golden rule can be applied to any situation ever. It can help you figure out all of the commands, all of the prophets. So when you're at school and you're dealing with other students, you can use the golden rule and say, treat your classmates how you would want to be treated. When you're at work, you can take the rule and you can treat your employer how you would like to be treated by your employer. Treat your friends how you'd like to be treated. It's, it's something that you can put into place. Treat your brother and sister how you want your brother and sister to treat you. All right? So that's how this works. So let's just take this golden rule and apply it to judging. If we would do that, we would see this is the way to say the rule. Judge the way you want to be judged. Judge the way you want to be judged. Now here's our first reaction. None of us want to be judged, right? How many want to raise their hand? You want a lot of people inspecting your life and telling you what you're doing right and telling you what you're doing wrong. None of us want to be judged. So when Jesus says, do not judge, all of a sudden we're like, yeah, yeah, I, that's great. None of us want to be judged. Don't do it. You don't judge me and I don't judge you. Now, here's the problem with that. We've all got something in our eye. If we had something wrong, wouldn't you want someone to help you fix it? Imagine if I was uh, having uh, lunch with you across the table and during our entire conversation, I had a giant piece of lettuce stuck in my teeth. And you just let that go. And then by, and I, I said something to you like, hey, after this, I'm gonna go for a job interview and then, then I'm gonna go home and hang out with my wife and it's gonna be a great day. And the whole time you're like, you've got giant piece of lettuce in your teeth. And, and if I got home and went through my job interview and then had that, had that uh, great dinner with my wife and I got to the mirror that night and I saw this giant piece of lettuce, I would think to myself, why didn't somebody tell me? Why did somebody tell me I had this giant piece of lettuce in my mouth? We would want someone to help us get rid of the bad things in our lives. We would want someone to correct us and to show us how to do better, how to, how, how to make things right. So there is a part of us that while we in a knee-jerk reaction say, hey, don't judge me, we also do want to be judged, but we want to be judged in a loving way. I remember in college, we had an opportunity to vote out of all of our peers, those friends that we wanted to sit on our student council. The student council was the body of students that was responsible for making the disciplinary decisions for those of us who got in trouble. I'm not gonna tell you how many times I sat in front of the student council. That's none of your business, all right? You're starting to judge me, I can feel it already. We were electing in our own judges, so guess who got elected to the student council? The people who we thought would judge us correctly and we we voted in the nicest girl in the class i mean she was the sweetest thing ever her name was jen duff man and she was just funny and happy and, and felt like everyone's best friend i want jen i want jen on the student council so she would judge me why do we why do we pick jen to be our judge well because we wanted someone to judge us the way that we would want to be judged we didn't want that strict person or that mean guy or that fake that fake friend we wanted someone who we thought was real and authentic. When you apply the golden rule to this, just like anything else, thinking about judging, we want to judge the way that we want to be judged. We want someone to take in, consider in the whole picture. We want someone who's going to help us make the right choice. We want someone who's going to be fair and balanced. We want someone, most of all, who's going to love us even while they were helping to correct us. The problem with judging 
And the problem with judging specifically in the church is this is not the way the church has been known to judge. The church, religion, and religious people have been given a label. As a matter of fact, most people who don't go to church, who don't believe in the Bible, the number one reason they say they have rejected faith is because Christians are judgmental. They say Christians judge and they're hypocrites and they feel pushed down by them. That's not the way we want to express ourselves when we interact with others. Millennials who don't go to church say that they see Christians as judgmental. 87% of them do. 85% see us as hypocritical. 91% see us as anti-homosexual. And 70% and see us as insensitive to others. In other words, not loving, not caring. We're not anti-homosexual. We're not, we're not wanting to bring judgment down or wanting to be hypocrites. God said that we're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. We want to love the people that we think are, that, that think we are judging them. How can we go from having a reputation of being judgmental to having a reputation of love? Well, Jesus teaches us over and over again. He says in step one, hey, just don't be judgmental. He teaches us in, in James chapter 4, verse 11, he says this, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. It starts with the way that we teach, uh, we treat one another, brothers and sisters in Christ. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister judges them, speaks against the law, and judges it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, and you're not it, and neither am I. The one who is able to save and destroy. Jesus, God, is the lawgiver and judge. He's the ultimate authority. He's the one who de determines salvation. He's the one who determines destruction. He's the one who has laid out the roadmap for life and the rules that we live by, the Ten Commandments, the truth principles in God's Word. He's the one who has designed us and given us the very breath of life. And He's the one, in the end, who will sit and stand in judgment of us. He is our judge. We are not the judges of this world. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Remember that time where that, where that uh, commentary, that political commentary on television said, who are you to judge me? Did you know he was quoting scripture? Why are we propping ourselves up as the church, as the judges of mankind? When God specifically said, hey, don't judge. And there's some very specific reasons he asked us not to judge in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 7, 1 through 5. First, he says, remember, you're just as bad. Why do you judge someone who has a speck in their eye when you have a log in your own? It's a, almost a comical picture of someone trying to help get a splinter out of one other person's eye when there's this telephone pole sticking out of theirs. How is that possibly going to work? Well, Jesus, said, uh, God tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The blind can't lead the blind. We're all in the same boat. We can't help get each other out of it. We are just as bad as everyone else around us. We are in no position to judge because we can't see clearly. We have the same problems. We have the same tendencies. And we have the same sin. And did you know that there is no worse sin than another? Well, I don't know. I think like murder is pretty bad. And I don't really murder. I just kind of can't stand certain people. Hey, we've already covered that in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says if you hate someone, you've murdered with them. If you look at someone uh, to lust, you've committed adultery. All of the, sin is sin is sin is sin. And we are all equally sinners. We are in no position to think that we are any better than anyone else. And sometimes, a lot of times, Christians, religious people, can get guilty of thinking we're better than someone. We can, we can become guilty of looking down our nose, of, of scowling at, of predetermining, of saying we think that we are in a better position than you are to make this decision. I mean, we do it all the time, not in just religious ways. 
In our, in our America today, we are more fractured than ever. Republicans look at Democrats, Democrats look at Republicans, and each one thinks that they know better than the other and that they're standing on the higher moral ground and they've got a better system or, or a, a better way to do things. And then here comes the independents who even think they're better than both of them. And all of our political parties, we start throwing stones at each other and we start yelling and we start hating each other. We can't work together. We become very good at judging. We become very judgmental, and whether it's out on the playgrounds, in our schools, on our on our uh, sports courts when we're, we're playing games outside, or whether it's in our places of worship, this idea of me thinking I'm better than you is rampant in our society. Like we know it all. Like we've got some special superpower that makes me smarter and better than all the people around us. If we could just be humble and realize that but for the grace of God, we are in the same situation. And then when we look at God's grace, we say how amazing it is that he has lovingly applied his grace to me. What can I do in return in response to that? Can I lovingly apply that grace to others? Just as it's been applied to me. We can make the case that Christians should be the least judgmental people of all because we have seen our sin. And we have run to the cross of Jesus for forgiveness of our sin, knowing that there's nothing we could do to get rid of it. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You and I both, brother and sister, friend, we're both in trouble. And we both need the same Savior to get out of it. And God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If you're sitting out there mad at the church because of how much they judge you, could you let that go and not let that keep you from a loving Savior who has offered life to you? Let's not use bad Christians or bad judgment or bad moments to keep us from a good God. When we are walking with God, then we must realize, hey, don't judge because we're just the same. You and I, brother and sister, as everybody else. The second reason we don't want to judge is because, very specifically, we don't want to be self-righteous. We don't want to be pious or holier than thou. In Luke chapter 18 and verse 9, in verse 9 it tells us this story. It tells us the story of, of these two people that came to pray inside the temple. And Jesus was showing his disciples uh, these two people praying. And Jesus said, look, look at this man when he prays. And, and this, this Pharisee, this religious leader comes up and he stands up uh, really high and he puts his robe in right order and he clears his throat <laughs> and he begins to pray to God for all to hear about how much that God loves him and how God is helping him and he looks down at this other dirty rotten peasant who's down there bowing on his knee and he says thank God that I'm not like that tax collector over there who's horrible and awful thank God that I am better and more righteous than he and Jesus, who was hearing these prayers at the same time, though that tax collector was praying silently, could hear his prayers, and that tax collector was just begging for love and forgiveness from God in his spirit. Lord, forgive me, a humble tax collector, he was saying. They both got up and left their from that, that prayer time, and Jesus said to the disciples, which one do you think left forgiven? Which one do you think left in better standing with God? The one who put on the public display of self-righteousness or the other who humbly begged before the Lord for forgiveness. God forgave the dirty tax collector, not the pious priest. So many times we stand up like we're better than other people and that we have a better position to judge them at. We don't. We don't. That is just self-righteousness rearing its ugly head. And I, more than any other, have been guilty of being self-righteous, of thinking I knew better, or I am better, or I feel better, and I would start to, to form opinions about what people are doing, or how they're thinking, or I'd react in a different way, or I would move in a different way, and that this ugly sickness of self-righteousness seeps into my soul. We've got to do some, some powerful work to keep it down. The, second, the third reason we're told not to judge is because he doesn't want us to be a hypocrite. The whole reason Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount is he's teaching against just being religious for religion's sake. 
He's preaching against those that think they have it all together. And they, they say that they're walking with God on the outside, but on the inside, they're just as broken and rotten as the rest of us. And this, this, this disease of hypocrisy comes in. And when we start to judge, we start becoming hypocritical. In John chapter 8 and verse uh, 3 through 11, the Pharisees bring this woman who had committed adultery before Jesus, and they throw her down. And they look at Jesus and they say, Jesus, what should we do with her? Put him in a hard place, right? They're going to try to trick him into, into either being judgmental or, con, or condemning her or making, having her, him say her sin was okay. And all of those things would go against Jesus' teaching. And so Jesus looks up at these Pharisees, these, these hypocrites that threw this woman down. And he says, all right, she's guilty. But which one of you... Whichever one of you is without sin, you cast the first stone. Go ahead. Whichever one of you is perfect, you throw the... Whichever one of you has never sinned, never made a mistake, never crossed the line, never fallen short of the glory of God, you throw that stone. One by one, each of these, these leaders dropped the stones in their hands. They walked away. They couldn't punish her. They couldn't judge her. And Jesus says, well, who's left? Who's left here to continue? And she looks up and she goes, they're all gone. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. We don't judge because we need to remember we're just as bad. We don't judge because we don't want to be self-righteous or hypocritical. Now, the Bible does teach about how to judge. The, the Bible does show us what it means to try to figure out how to do things right and how to do things wrong. We do have to make judgment calls in life. There are instructions for our political leaders and for our church leaders and for our, for our authorities, for parents and for teachers. There are The Bible does give us ways to try to help people who are doing things wrong. So how do we balance this, this idea of not judging in a self-righteous, hypocritical way, yet making the necessary judgment calls of life? In John chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus says, Stop judging by mere appearances. But instead, judge correctly. Well, how do we judge correctly? How do we follow the command to do not judge because we have a log in our eye and to judge correctly? Matthew 7, 15 and 16, in just a couple of verses, we're going to cover it next week. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Will you recognize? You will recognize them by their fruit. Our actions, our choices have consequences. We say at Branch Life, the deeper our connection to God, the farther our reach, the more fruit we're, we will bear. How do you know when someone's not doing right or not living in the right way? Well, their fruit will show it. They're going to show what is happening to them. There's natural consequences to the decisions that we make. That's why Jesus has identified some things as sin, because they are bad for us. And that's why Jesus has, has given us things to do and to obey, because those are good for us. And so when we are connected with Jesus, we bear good fruit. When we're not, we bear bad fruit. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So how do we help people make the right choices? How do, we, how do we determine what is judgmental and what is correctly judging? Well, the golden rule says judge the way you want to be judged. So we'll, high, we'll, we'll highlight this as our rule of thumb, as our guiding principle. J.D. Greer says it this way. You judge someone not when you assess their position, but when you dismiss them as a person. You see, judgmentalism that Jesus is preaching against, self-righteous, hypocritical judgment, says, I'm better than you. If you disagree with me, I'm done with you. I'm finished with you. You're no good. You're dead to me. That's, that's what we are told not to do. But yet, we have these commands to judge correctly. As a matter of fact, there's an entire book of the Bible called Judges, right? So there is judging that takes place. Here's the best way that I can explain it today. Not judging doesn't mean not teaching. There's a difference between judging hypocritically and teaching correct behavior. 
teaching Jesus' commands. You see, teachers love their students to get it. In 2020 and 2021, some of our greatest heroes have been teachers. Parents who have stepped up to assist teachers. Teachers that, that have gone out of their way to help their students get it and understand it. You see, judgmental hypocrites don't love people. Teachers love people. And that's the difference. That's what Jesus is, is telling us in this passage. And so he gives us step-by-step -step instructions about how to teach or how to even judge correctly. This, this command, do not judge, is not a period, do not judge, period. It's a do not judge, comma. Do not judge when someone has a speck and you have a log. And he goes on to say, now, here's how to judge. And he gives us step-by-step -step instructions, starting in Matthew chapter 7, in verse 5 and 11. Let's look at these steps. We're going to have one, two, and then three. Matthew chapter 5, uh, starting Matthew chapter 7, verse 5. It says this, You hypocrite, first, right? You hypocrite, first, take the log out of your own eye. So step number one is take the log out of your own eye. What you need to do first, and what you always need to do first, is check your heart. Check yourself. Confess your sin. Deal with your plank. Judge yourself. And realize, hey, I, I am wrong. I do make mistakes all the time. And I need Jesus' love and forgiveness to help me solve my sin problem. Because he's the only one that can do it. This is an ongoing, regular process that should happen in all of our lives. This is why we faithfully attend church and worship together. So that we can do this self-reflection. It's why we take communion. It's why we interact in small groups and serve on teams. It's so that we can constantly be checking ourselves and make sure we're in good standing with God. That has to be done first. You can't help someone else when you yourself are drowning. And they say it all the time on the airplanes. If the airplane is going to crash and the air is going to come down, parent, you need to first take your air, air supply and put it on your face before you turn around and help someone else. You're no good to everybody else when you're bleeding out. So help yourself first. Second, it says, and continue on that verse, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Then we go to step two, and that's simply this. Teach others lovingly who know you care. Teach others lovingly who know you care. When we approach someone else, when we teach someone else, we teach them in a loving way, and we teach those who are open to receive our instructions. There's a saying uh, that goes around today, and it's particularly important in our day and age. They don't care what you know until they know that you care. And we shouldn't be standing on street corners yelling about people going to hell, all angry and upset, thinking that somehow that's going to convince these strangers out there that they need the loving Jesus. No, they need us to love. They need us to give. They need us to serve in so many different ways so that they will then know that we care, that when we give them teaching, when they give correction, when we give instruction, they know that it's coming from someone who loves them deeply. When we are the hands and feet of God, we must be the hands and feet of God in love. We teach them so that we can remove that speck. You see, Jesus is not saying, don't help people, don't correct people, don't teach people. He's saying, don't judge people. So you correct yourself so that you can see clearly to help someone else. And then he goes on. And this third step says, prayerfully asking God for wisdom to always know which one to do. In verse 7, it says, uh, or verse 6, it says, Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample it underfoot and attack you. That's teaching those who know you care. Wild pigs, wild dogs out there who aren't ready to receive instruction, you don't try to help them. Verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. Everyone who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or which one of you asks for a fish, will he give a serpent? If then you are evil... Excuse me, if then, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven 
Give good things to those who ask. You see, Jesus is saying that prayer is powerful. That prayer, Jesus gives, gives great gifts to his kids that ask for him. That Jesus will give us good things that are good for us in good time because we are his children. When we're trying to figure out how we balance this judging thing, how do we help people? How do we remove the speck from our eyes? He says, knock, seek, ask, and I'll be there to help you. I'll walk with you all along the way. We don't have to do this alone. You see, when we are judging the way we want to be judged, no one wants splinters in their eyes. Nobody wants to walk around with splinters. Have you thought about what that would feel like? When I was a young man growing up, when I was a young man at one of my favorite places on the planet, Ocean City, New Jersey, I was on a raft. We were doing some surfing on the raft, and I was laying my raft face first, and some teenagers around me, I was young, I was eight or nine, were having a sand fight. They were throwing sand at each other. And I remember I saw this one girl pick up a bunch of sand, and she starts running through the waves right while I was being pushed by a wave towards her. And she didn't pick up her hand in time, and my face ran right into her handful of sand, but my eyes were wide open. That sand full of shells and, and, and all kinds of things got into my eyes and instantly started to scratch and, and claw at everything that was going. I couldn't blink fast enough. I couldn't get it out of there. I had to be helped by the lifeguards and my grandmother. And they ended up taking me to a station where I had to get my eyes flushed out. And, and I was all, everything inside of my eyes. Were, it was one of the most painful experiences in my life. Nobody wants splinters in their eyes. What we want is to be corrected. We want to live pain-free. We want to have this stuff that's bad for us out of there. So we judge the way that we want to be judged. So Jesus is speaking to three specific people, categories of people. Remember, on the Sermon on the Mount, he had his disciples, he had followers, they were all in with Jesus. He had skeptics, people who were like investigating Jesus, and he had the Pharisees, people who were against Jesus, the religious institution of that day. And I think there's a message for every single one of those groups of people in this teaching. First, to the religious, he says, stop giving good faith a bad name. For all of those people that are religious out there and you think you're better than everyone and you're being hypocritical, stop it. You're giving religious a bad, religion a bad name. And Jesus said, listen, we've got to present truth and grace in equal measure as we're walking through this life. And to the religious person, you may have all this truth, but you've forgotten grace. So give grace. And stop giving good faith a bad name. For those that are walking lockstep in Jesus, they know how to balance judgment and teaching. They know how to give love and grace even while holding on to the truth. Number two, to the lost. For those that were seeking there, Jesus says this, ask, seek, and knock. Ask, seek, and knock. If you have questions about your own faith, if you have questions about what truth really is, if you have questions about who God is, Jesus wants to ask those things. If you want to feel his presence and know his love, all you simply have to do is ask. And the Bible's really clear in this moment, in this passage. When you ask, he answers. When you seek, you will find. When you knock, he opens the door to you. Jesus loves you so much that he's available to you. And if you want to find truth, all you simply need to do is ask, seek, and knock. Maybe this is your first time joining us at Grand Life Church. Maybe you've been a part of these discussions over these past few weeks or you've watched a couple of these online services. What I want to encourage you to do, if you're not quite ready to become a follower of Jesus, is just continue investigating. Continue asking, here's my promise and here's my dedication as a pastor and as a church. We are a safe place for you to have discussions and explore your faith. We want you to ask your questions and be a part of a conversation without feeling judged about your opinions or your thoughts. Listen, I don't know everything, and there are a lot of things that I'm wrong about. There are things that you could teach me and you could help me with, and I think there are things that I could teach you and help you with. I would love to have a, continue to have a relationship together with you to allow you and hope that you would become and be a regular part of Branch Life Church. So that as you continue to knock, as you continue to seek, you would know that you are loved and welcome here, no matter what conclusion you land on. You see, we love you at Branch Life Church. We love you more than anything, and we believe that God loves you too. And we would love to continue growing together if you would allow us to do just that. Now to the church. 
for those who have accepted Jesus and your followers of him, he says this, do to others what you wish was done for you. Let's live this out. This is the good life. This is how Jesus has commanded us to live. This is the, this is the directions for life. This is the instructions that we have, the roadmap that we're supposed to follow. This is the ingredient for the good life. If we're followers of Jesus, do for other people as you would want them to do for you. So here's some encouragement for the church. First, today, disagreement is interpreted as judgment. That's just the facts. We, we know this. You know that if you disagree with someone, they will automatically interpret your disagreement as judgment. Because that's what they've been shown all their lives. It is possible to disagree without judgment. And if that's possible, what it means is we must double down on love. We must let people know that we love them passionately and that we care for them desperately. We must go out of our way to show the love of Jesus to the people around them so that when we do disagree, they don't look at it as judgment but us truly loving on them. We may have a different position. We do stand on the truth of God's word, but that doesn't mean we stop loving them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We want to be known as a church that loves other people no matter what. So we double down on love. And in John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus says, this is how they will know. This is how they will know that you're my disciples, that I am your God, is by the way that you love one another. They will know you by your love. What's the secret weapon in reaching this world for Jesus? What's the secret weapon in building the church that we have? It's love. They're going to know us by our love, not by our opinions. They're going to know us by our love, not by the way we win arguments. They're going to know us by our love. So let's double down on love in a season where disagreement is seen as judgment. Second piece of encouragement that I want to say. In a digital age, we have to move from just proclamation to conversation. Guys, it's not enough just to make an, a declaration or announcement. That, hey, this is truth, and I now declare it, and you either take it or not. We've got to move from this proclamation of standing up and saying, take it or leave it. And we've got to get into the conversation. We've got to build the relationship. So what I want to say to you, church, is open up your homes, sit around the dinner tables, and have great conversations. And don't condemn people when they disagree with you. Don't automatically push them to the side if they have a different political point of view or if they see the world in a different, in a different color. If they don't get religion the way that you get religion. No, let's have this conversation and this ongoing conversation. Here's what I believe about proclamation and conversation. Truth wins. We have the truth of God's word on our side. And we shouldn't be scared about questions. We shouldn't be scared to have conversations. And we don't need to be heavy-handed in our presentations. We can talk it over. And conversations take time. Not everyone is ready to make a decision the first time you proclaim the gospel to them. So explain it. Show it. Talk about it. And most importantly, listen. Listen to other people. Listen to what they're saying. Listen to why they're saying it. And show them love because they'll know us by our love. Here's the good life. The good life, church, is not about what you can get, but it's about what you can give. The good life is not about what you can get, but it's about what you can give. And when we are a part of a church, the church is not about what we can get from that church. It's about what we can give to that church. When you have a job, it's not about what you can get from that job. It's about what you can give to that job. When you're at school, it's not about what you can get from that teacher. It's about what you can give to that teacher. When you're on that sports field, it's not about the glory you get from winning. It's about what you can contribute to the game. Right? This is it. This is the golden rule. So at Branch Lake Church, we want to be full of people. We want to be built as a church that's not at church or a part of the church to get something, but you're at church, you're a part of the church to give something. We want church to be great for other people. We want it to be the kind of place that would be great for us. So what do you want church to be like? How do you want it? How do you want to support you and to encourage you and to, to challenge you? How do you want the church to love you? Well, 
Do those things for other people. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 says simply this, For even the Son of Man, Jesus Christ himself, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Sitting around the table just this last week with a bunch of servers, they were talking about how they serve on Sundays during our worship services. And the one, one of the comments that they said is, when I serve on Sundays, I don't, I don't, I don't get to worship. I don't get to participate in things like, like everybody else is doing. And you know what? That's true. You, you're not being served in those moments. In those moments, you're working. In those moments, you're, you're challenging yourself. You're pouring yourself out. You're giving of yourself in those moments. And that's better. That's even better than being poured into. You see, Jesus said, I came to serve. I came to sacrifice myself. I came to give. And so at our churches on Sundays, when we come together, what can you give? What can you give to people that you would want to receive? Can you be that loving, smiling, friendly person that greets someone the way you would want to be greeted walking in the church? Man, for people that are coming back to church now, they're nervous about COVID. They're not sure if, if anyone's going to remember them. They might be coming for the first time after being there alone and they don't know if they know anyone. And somebody warmly greeting them or helping them get a cup of coffee or checking their kids in the program just becomes this breath of fresh air. Someone that's actually glad to see them, no matter if they look like a, a, the president, like a biker, or like someone from another religion. They're loved by you because that's what you want the church to do for you. At Branch Life Church today, we are highlighting our teams. We're in a season of rebuilding, just like everybody else. We're getting, we're getting very excited about launching and opening to our community on September 12th. It's going to be a grand celebration. But before we get there, we have a lot of ways that you can make this church better. And even if you're only participating digitally, there are ways that you can serve digitally throughout the week and just help us connect to more people, to reach more people, and to show the love of God to more people. Today, we want to ask everyone who's a part of our in-person service to fill out this card that I'll show to you in this digital form today. If you're willing or able or interested in serving more, we want you to fill out this information and you can do this on your connection card. Let us know who you are and how we can get a hold of you. And check out all of these different ways that you could serve, that you could be a part of it. For our in-person ministries, our family ministries are exploding at the seams. We've got babies and elementary kids and preschoolers that would love to have people who love them and show them build into them each and every week. Our teen program is doubling in size, seems like since we launched over just the last couple of months. And our teen, teen leaders and our parents of teenagers, man, what a group that needs love from, from Jesus. Our worship collective is launching and we're bringing in vocalists and instrumentalists as well as technicians who can help our worship team uh, do not only one service but multiple services on Sundays and possibly even farther out, including our digital ministries. On Sundays, we'd love to have an army of people greeting and serving at the cafe and helping in the parking lot and keeping us safe and working at the Connection Center and really importantly being a part of our prayer team during our Sunday services. We're also looking for people to help us with our digital ministries as we look towards launching live streaming and, and our digital campus. We need techs. We need live stream hosts. That could be you who are watching online every Sunday. And we need those that can help us create this content, our graphics, our social media posts, uh, put our videos together. That's an army of people that can help with that kind of stuff. And then other ministries that are going on, following up with new people and helping with our multi a lot of renovations that we need to continue to take place here in our physical setting, as well as getting some of this digital equipment out there. These are just a few of the ways that you can serve at Branch Life. And there's an army of other ways, whether it's being involved in, in our host ministries or, or being a part of uh, our community connections programs. There's lots of different things that you could do. But what is the way that you are giving so that the church can be what you want the church to be for you? Here's real quickly the seven top reasons to join a team. Number seven is you, need, you can make great friends and build community. One of the best ways to get to know other people is to be a part of a team and serve together. Number six, be a small part of something big God is doing. All of us want purpose, and man, one of the greatest 
blessings about being a part of a team is that you know you're a part of something big that God's doing for other people. Number five, let's stay connected to the church God has led me to. This service opportunity gives you just another connection that helps you make sure you're there every week, that you're connecting and that you're continuing to be a part of the mission that God has called you to be a part of. Number four, to use your skills, your talents that are unique to you to build the kingdom of God. Build the church, build the kingdom. That's what God's about, and he's given you a special gift just to do that. Number three, there's joy in showing love to others. Hey, serving is fun. We have a chance to serve each other. Yeah, there's work involved, there's preparation, but playing with these kids on Sundays, that's fun. Being able to hug people when they walk in, up until COVID, that's fun. Like we get to worship and lead people in worship. Ah, it's just a joy to be able to serve on a team and show the love of God to other people. To help people meet Jesus or take their next step in Him. When you're holding a door for someone, that might be someone who comes to Jesus that day. Every Sunday is somebody's first Sunday worshiping with us at Branch Life. And so it's an amazing opportunity for you to create an environment that helps people become comfortable and open to the message that God has for them that day. And number one, we just absolutely believe that we are better together. You are better when you are serving together on a team. So we want to encourage you to join a team. We have team leaders that are in all of these areas, our kids ministry team leaders, uh, our team, team leaders and family ministries, digital team leaders, uh, our worship collective leaders, and Pastor Scott is helping lead our hosts, among others. All of these people are available here uh, for you to connect with. And when you turn in your card and let us know how you, will, how you serve, you'll hear from one of them. Hey man, we, we believe that God has got the best life for us when we treat other people the way that we want to be treated. I hope today has been an encouragement to you. Whether it's getting rid of self-righteousness and learning to judge less and love more, whether it's becoming a teacher that loves to teach people how to serve and how to give and how to grow closer to Jesus, or whether it's just taking this golden rule and start applying it across the board so that you can excel in the best life ever. We hope that today you've been encouraged to take this step. Very practically, we'd love for you to serve if you can. So take a moment and fill out your connection card. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know how you're interested in serving. Don't forget, if you'd like to get baptized or officially join the church, indicate that on your card and we will follow up with you. And if today is the day that you have been called to become a follower of Jesus, you can find more information about that at our Gospel tab. And we'd love to know that if you've made the decision to become a follower of Christ, if you've prayed that prayer for salvation, you can let us know in the, in the chat room next to you, or you can fill out this card uh, at either one of these spots on our website, and we want to celebrate that. We will cheer for you from a distance if today's the day that you've accepted Jesus. If you're not sure about your personal walk with God, if you're not sure about uh, how to become a follower of Jesus, go to this tab, and you'll get all the information there about what it means to become a follower of Jesus. Because, hey, that's how you access the good life. Believe it or not, Next Sunday is our series finale of The Good Life. We'll be finishing the Sermon on the Mountain. It's going to be a powerful, special time that you don't want to miss. So join us again next week. Thank you guys for being with us, for watching all the way through this. We hope to see you again. Have a great rest of your week.